cool. All right, you're ready to get into God's Word this morning? Who was here last week? Just give us a wave. Okay, most. Uh, if you weren't here last week, can I really encourage you? I don't normally do this. I don't normally spruik, um, you know, going and listening to anything that I've said before. But can I encourage you to go and listen to the uh, podcast from last week? I really believe that that was... Uh, a sort of a real important message for our church to hear, uh, sort of outlined a bit of a vision and a way into the future for us and some thoughts on that. So I'm going to recap uh, real briefly on what we talked about. Uh, we started this new idea last week on disciple towards mission. Uh, and we're going to talk about that for the next couple of weeks as well. Um, but last week, uh, we talked about the idea that the Australian church is in decline. The Australian church is in decline. No matter which way you the pool of numbers or look at the, the stats or um, manipulate anything, the Australian church is in decline and has been for like 50 or 60 or 70 years. Like it's, it's, it hasn't, it's not just a new thing. It's been on a downward trend for a long time. Um, and not only monthly attendance, but people who identify themselves as Christian is going down and people who identify themselves as no religion or atheist or agnostic is growing. Uh, and there's graphs and there's stats there, graphs there. I mean, and so last week we talked about this idea that it's, it's sort of like the elephant in the room for, I believe, for the Australian church in that there's this huge downward trend of um, church engagement, of Christian engagement, of people coming to faith. I um, mean, there's even more um, uh, hard-to-swallow stats on uh, people that are coming to faith for the first time in churches uh, and in a church this size, on average throughout Australia, probably one, maybe two people might come to faith each year in a church this size, um, if they're, you know, good. Uh, otherwise, it's much lower than that. And so it's a, it's a real, I believe, a wake-up call to us, and, and it's something that we should let confront us, uh, that we should look at and go, we're not happy with that. I'm not content with with those sort of stats. I'm not content with this idea that we are called to, to bring the, the gospel of Jesus to, to the lost and hurting and see people come to know Jesus and, and make disciples. I mean, Jesus gave his disciples and gave us one major commission, one major mission on this earth is to go and make disciples. And for whatever reason, that's not happening. I, I don't think like it, it could or should be. Uh, and so we we talked about this idea that in Matthew 4, verse 19, Jesus called to his disciples. He said, follow me and I'll make you fish for people. Follow me and I'll make you fish for people. And the call to, to follow Jesus really, or the, the, um, the next slide, that Jesus' call to us is a call to follow and a call to receive. A call to follow and a call to receive. And, and as, a, as Christians, we love this part of the call is I love to follow Jesus and I love to receive his grace, his mercy, his peace, his joy, all the good things that, I mean, we love preachers to preach about because they're so encouraging. But the, the flip side of that is that we're also called to go and we're also called to give and we're called to, to go on mission with Jesus. We're not called to just be uh, buckets, but we're called to be conduits of the gospel. And so the... The command that Jesus gives in Matthew 28 is a command to disciple. Um, if you look at the, I'm not a Greek scholar, but if you look at the Greek in Matthew 28 and that great commission, there is one main command and that command is just one word, disciple, disciple. And then with that command is three sort of sub-commands, go, teach and baptise. 
and the way that this might work um, or to help us, help us understand what this command is like. If I say to you, go clean your house, that's the main command, and then I might say, vacuum the floors, mop the floors and do the dishes. They're the sub-commands of that main command. The main command is clean the house, and that's how you do it. And so the main command Jesus gives us is not go, is not teach, is not baptise, but is to disciple, and then we go teach and baptise to do that. So that's, and we're going to unpack that a bit more this morning. Um, and we also looked at the fact that for, for Jesus to do this in us, we don't need to be someone spectacular. We don't need to have our lives all together. That Jesus called ordinary people, the people he called, the fishermen, the tax collector, the, um, the ordinary guys that he called into mission with him were not specially trained, were not sort of in a... Um, in a Bible college or had heaps of experience. I mean, they walked with Jesus for three years and then he let them and commissioned them to start the church that we're still part of today. I mean, that's crazy to me to think that that's how the church started and that was God's plan, is that three years with Jesus, a bunch of guys who didn't really have anything going for them were given the command, all right, now just start the church, go for it. And here we are today. Um, and so the, the ordinary people had an extraordinary mission and we are called in exactly the same way, ordinary people with an extraordinary mission. We're not called to be extraordinary people with an ordinary mission, we're called to be ordinary people with an extraordinary mission. And so let's read this great command again in Matthew 28. It says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, would you help us to hear your voice this morning? And would you help us to, to follow you, to obey you, to step out in faith, to go on mission with you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alana and I are in the middle of doing some um, renovations at our house and it feels like it's been a, the story of our life. Um, I don't know why, I was talking to Alana um, last night and she's like, yeah, I'm just looking forward to getting these renovations done and she was saying, I don't know what we're going to do after that and I said, just enjoy it, maybe we can just like, just live in a house that's finished. She's like, oh, maybe I'll convince you to buy another house and do it again. I said, oh, I don't think so. But he, like... I don't know if you've renovated a house before, but it's just a monster task. I mean, building a house is a monster task, but renovating a house that you're living in just feels like this never-ending uh, monster mission to, to get everything finished, and yeah, it's constantly asking your questions, where do you start? Like, you look at a room that just needs renovating, you're like, oh, just light a match and burn it, and let's just claim the insurance and get someone else to do it. I mean, I can see why people do that. I'm not saying I'm going to do that. By the way, you'd be glad to know that Alana bought two headlight globes. I've never had so much feedback <laughs> from... I've never had so much feedback from a message before in my life as I did last week. And 98% of the feedback was, you need to get your headlights fixed, Brad. You need to get your headlights fixed. There's policemen that sit in the congregation that you know, could arrest you and put you in jail for life probably for that. <laughs> so, the headlight globes have been purchased. They're sitting on the bench. <laughs> we 
We're one step there. <laughs> oh, I put my foot in, aren't I? Um, anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, renovations, yeah. Burning matches, claiming insurance, doing things that are legal. Uh, we're not doing anything bad. Okay, so we've got this renovation that we're trying to do and we're constantly saying, what, where, do we, where do we start? What do we do? How much is it going to cost? How much work is this? Um, it just seems like this thing that's never going to finish. Even though I can say it, it's possible to finish, it just feels like it's never going to finish. Um, how much effort will it take? How much time will it take? At least with renovations, you know that when you renovate something, it's, it's renovated. Like, you know when you paint a wall, it's painted. It's finished. There's, there is a finish to it. There is a point where you can look at a room and go, we have finished renovating this room. It is done. Tick the box. When we look at the command to make disciples and the mission of making disciples, it's sort of like looking at that task and going, where do you start? This is so big. How much is this going to cost? How much time is this going to take? And how do I know when it's finished? Like, is there like a final coat of paint we put on people's like, done, finished, move on to the next one? It's like a never-ending task that we don't know how big it's going to be and how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take. And I think sometimes when we look at the Great Commission, it just seems so daunting. It seems so big that we just go, Ugh, I can't think about it. I can't really engage or wrestle with this command because it just seems so far-fetched. It seems so ridiculous that God would call us to do this because it seems, if we're honest, impossible. And so let's look at this impossible task because I would put myself in that same boat, that it seems impossible. So Jesus gives the command, go. Go and make disciples. That first idea, even just the first idea, go. I mean, it, it just cries that to go somewhere, you have to leave something, don't you? You don't go somewhere without leaving somewhere. And so even the idea of going is scary enough for us. It's like, go. What do I have to leave behind to go? Where do I have to go? The first part of the command is perhaps even the scariest part. Go. Leave what you know. Leave your comfort, your earthly securities, and go. I mean, Jesus is, it's not the first time Jesus has sort of put this crazy idea before his disciples. In Luke 14, verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. There's this real sense of to, to do this command, you've just got to leave everything behind. It's not like a you can dip your toe in and see if you like it sort of thing. It's like it's all or nothing. You go for it or you don't. You don't sort of go, you go. Every part of you goes. You completely are invested in this thing. And the disciples hearing this command, remember, have already left their comfortable um, lives. They've already given up their professions, their families. And so... I can, I can imagine this, this part of the command is not necessarily the scariest part for them. But I think for us, in our comfortable lives, um, it may be the scariest part to embrace. The unpredictability of following Jesus on mission. But this is the heart of the command. That we would go, that we would be proactive in our making disciples. Making disciples is not a reactive thing. It's not something we do if we get the opportunity. It's something that God, that Jesus calls us to be proactive about. There's a real sense that you need to make 
this happen. It's not going to just happen by accident. You're not going to just walk down the road, oh, I actually disciple someone. I didn't even mean to. It's not going to happen like that. There's a real sense that you need to go on mission. You need to go and make disciples. And then he says, go make disciples. Go and tell people about Jesus. I mean, it, it, it's not really go tell people, people, go tell people about Jesus. It's, it's go tell people about Jesus in a way that will make them follow Jesus. And again, you know, last week we talked about this idea of evangelism versus, versus discipleship and how we're not called to just evangelize, just to tell people about Jesus, but we're called to make disciples. Tell people about Jesus in a way that they will follow Jesus and leave everything and do the same thing that we're doing. Jesus loving followers. Just like Jesus has transformed our lives, we are called to go and do the same with other people. Go make disciples of all nations, everyone, everywhere. There's no person that's left out of this command. There's no sort of group of people that Jesus says, just go to the people that are in your world, go to the people that you um, like, that like you, that go to anyone and everyone. There is no person excluded that you should not go to. And this gives the go part of the command a bit more context. It specifies where we're going, everywhere. Go to everyone you know and make disciples. It's not just about our friends and our family, although it is about them. It's about the person we don't know or the person we don't care so much about. It's about every single person. Can you imagine the first disciples hearing this, 11 guys at this point, hearing this part of the command? I mean, there's 11 people sitting in a small group and Jesus sits down with them and says, all right, guys, go make disciples the whole world. It's like 11 of us. They're probably looking around the room and say, like, he's having us on, isn't he? Like, that is ridiculous. There's only 11 of us. Even, even if we take, I mean, like, I don't know how many countries there are, like 300 and something. Even if we take 50 countries each, that's a big job. And this part of the command should, like, go, my gosh, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we go everywhere? How do we go and tell everyone about this? Go make disciples of all nations, baptising them. Asking people to make a public declaration of faith. We're not just going and making disciples and getting people to sort of like, sort of believe in God, but we want them to, to come out public with their faith. Come out and make a, a big deal about what the, what the decision they're making with their life is. The, the direction, orientation of their heart. We want to see that people baptised. A public response, not just a planted seed, but a public response to uh, the going and making disciples that we're, we're called to. Teaching. Great. Maybe when we get to this part of the command, we think, oh, finally a bit that I could sort of do. I mean, it seems sort of scary, but I could sort of do this part, teach people about Jesus, teach people, you know, get people to, to know about Jesus, teach them some stuff. I mean, I first have to know a little bit about the Bible, I suppose, to teach it, but at least I could tell people about what I know. I mean, I could teach people something, but that's not really the command. It's, it's teach to obey. Teach people to obey or teach people to observe. Now, I don't know about you, but that part of the command, I can't even do for myself. Like, that is really hard to teach someone to obey. 
Think about that. You're teaching someone in a way that they will do what you've taught them. Is that not completely out of our control? Completely out of our hands? It's like you can teach someone to you're blue in the face, but how do you get them to obey what you've taught them without like physically forcing them to? I hope you can see where this is going. How big this mission is. How out of control this is for us to, to do. And not just teach them to obey, but teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Every single little thing. I mean, has anyone mastered that in this room? Like, have you been taught to obey everything? So, oh, we can't even, there's no, no one in this room that's even done this yet. What I want to encourage us with this morning is this idea that last week, I hope you felt a big challenge. I hope you felt like, whew, we've got to do something. We've got to do something. And I believe we have to do something. We have to take this seriously and go and make disciples. But what I don't want is for us to walk out and go, oh, we've just got to, come on, just jump up and down a bit, you know, get the massage on the shoulders and just go harder. Go better, no more, shout louder. This task that Jesus gave his disciples was impossible. And it goes right to the heart of the gospel. The impossibility of what Jesus calls us to. The heart of the gospel is this, that you can't, but he can. You can't, but he can. And the Great Commission is no different than the heart of the gospel. You can't do what Jesus is calling you to do. You can't live the way Jesus is calling you to live. But he can. And so for us to go and make disciples, for us to see a change in the statistics and to see a, a swing in whatever way we want, we so desperately need God to move. We so desperately need God to move. Can I tell you something that happened last week? As we were praying, so at the end of the message, I got people to think about someone that I'm praying for, to someone that they wanted to see come and, and make a decision for Jesus and to become a disciple. And as we were praying, that very moment we were praying, Peter and Sue were telling me this, that their daughter-in-law made a decision to follow Jesus. Right at that time we were praying. And that their son and their granddaughter are getting baptised next Sunday. I mean, it's crazy that God would... Yeah. And that wasn't because we did something great. It's because God moved. And so for us to see this happen, we need to see God move. We need to have God on our side. And we need to trust and, and rely on God like never before. Yes, we need to step out in faith. Yes, we need to obey God. But we need God to move. You can do all you like. You can go and preach on the corner all you like. You can shout as loud as you want. You can make the best t-shirt in the world. But it will do nothing if God is not in it. There were some big parts of the Great Commission that I left out that I hope you were like, Brad, you know, the first and the last bit. Let's, let's have a quick look. It's mission impossible. I mean, sorry, let me share this first too. Matthew 19, 25 to 26. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
The mission that God has called us on is literally mission impossible. They should make a movie about this. Mission impossible. With man, it's impossible. No one can be saved. Jesus sets us up to fail if we try by ourselves so that we have to rely on him. I mean, it's genius in a way that he causes us in every part of what he calls us to, to trust in him. There's no part in, in, in what he calls us to that we don't have to rely on him, that we don't have to trust in him. Every step of the way, we have to trust in him. We have to rely on him. So the incredible promise that Jesus gives is this, before and after, is power and presence. Power and presence. Firstly, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. All authority in heaven and on earth. He has the ultimate power. He has the ultimate authority. God is in charge. He has every part of the authority. And this is the first truth we need to believe and lean into. That God is actually in charge. That God is who he says he is. You know, one thing I love about... Um, sports and going to any sort of sporting game. I don't know if you've ever been to an AFL game um, live before, but you sit amongst the crowd and someone makes, the umpire blows a whistle and uh, makes a free kick against their team. The crowd goes berserk. It doesn't matter what the free kick is. The crowd goes berserk and people are yelling out to the umpire, oh, you can't see a thing, you know, it wasn't a free kick, he pushed him in the back, you know, he didn't even have the ball. What do you, you know, get some glasses, need to go to Specsavers, you know, all these sorts of, and, and much more colourful language than that. Uh, but now they've got those, you know, uh, behaviour people. Anyway, so they're sorting it out. Um, if you don't know what that is, don't worry. I mean, I think it's just funny because people are yelling out these things and the umpire obviously can't hear, one. They can't hear that when, you know, 100,000 people are yelling at them, what anyone's saying. Uh, and so it's funny that people get so passionate and, and are so detailed in their message to the umpire. I just think that's funny. Um, but two, even if the umpire somehow did hear one of those people in the crowd shouting, it's like the umpire's got the whistle. The umpire knows the rules and the umpire is in charge of administering the rules. The umpire's in charge. It doesn't matter what a person yells, the free kick is the free kick. You can't change... I mean, the players, you've seen it before, they try to yell and scream at the umpire's face and they just get penalised even further. It doesn't, it's like, it doesn't matter if I'm wrong. That's the decision. I'm in charge. I have authority. Regardless of you and your comment, regardless of whatever you might say, the umpire's in charge. God is in charge in the same way. And it's no way determined by you and me. It's no way determined by how well we shout at him or, or don't shout at him. Or He is in charge. He is in complete control. He has complete authority. He has all the power, not because you give it to him, not because we ask him to have it, just because he has it, because he is God. And he's not asking us to do anything with his authority. He isn't asking us to give him more authority. He's just giving us context for the command. He's saying, I'm the umpire, I have authority, and here's what I want you to do, go. It's like when Moses comes to the burning bush, and Moses says, who am I that I should go and do this? And God says, I am. He doesn't answer that. He says, I am. So go. When we ask that same question of, that Moses asks, who am I, with that sense of humility, who am I that I could argue with God? I will do whatever you command me to do. 
if you do have the power and the authority, if you are God, if you are in charge, I will do what you command. And when we understand that truth, that God is all-powerful, he has complete authority, we will step out and do whatever it is he calls us to do, even if it seems impossible, even if it is impossible, we will go and do it. The disciples surely did. And thank you, God, that the disciples took this command seriously and listened to Jesus' words and said, well, I can't see this happening. I can't see this working out. I mean, they all got killed for it. It didn't work out that well. I'm sure they thought, this is ridiculous. We're just getting thrown in prison and beaten up. But they took Jesus at his word. He has all authority and he's told us to go. So we have no other option. We'll go. He has the power. He's in charge. He changed the, the heart of a dead believer into, into a beating, living heart. If he has the power and the authority to, to raise us up, even when we're dead in sin, he surely has the power to raise anyone up when they're dead in sin. You and I can't do that. We can't make someone right with God, but he can, because he has the power to. He has the authority to. So we need to trust in his power and his authority. And the second promise he gives us is his presence. And he says, at the end of the command, surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Surely I'm with you. God is there at work. He is already at work in people's hearts and people's lives that we couldn't even imagine would be. You know, your neighbour, your family member, the friend at work, your enemy at work, God is already at work in their life. God has already done things in their world, shown himself in different ways that you're not bringing God to them. You're just joining in with God in what he's already doing. God is already there at work. His presence is already there. So if the opening statement from Jesus is the context of the command, the ending of the, the statement is Jesus' promise to us. Surely I'm with you. Surely I'm with you. And when we have... When we look at this, when we see how this command is bookended by Jesus' power and his presence in our, in our lives, we come to realise that we need Jesus. Without those bookends, this command is just an impossible command. It can't be done. We can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. Let's go home. Without Jesus, we can't do it. We need him. Look at Acts. I want to show you a couple more scriptures how this works. And you know these scriptures, you've heard these stories before, but I just want to remind some of them again. In Acts 1, so Jesus has given this command and then he goes um, up into heaven and that's it. And he says to his disciples, I want you to wait here. So Acts 1, 4 to 8, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All nations, you'll be my witness. But only when my Holy Spirit comes. Wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. I mean, he doesn't even say, go and start making some connections with people. Go and suss out what's happening in the world around you. Like, it's just like, just stay here in this room. There's no point in you trying to do anything. You would probably actually make it worse. 
don't go, don't do anything. Wait here until you get the Holy Spirit. And the same way God would say to us, don't even try to go and do something if you're not being filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're not in step with the Holy Spirit, if you're not obeying the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. This mission that we're sent on requires, is completely um, reliant on the Holy Spirit at work, the Holy Spirit empowering us. I want to show you another story in Luke 5, and then we'll finish. Luke 5, 1 to 11. So this is another um, time where Jesus was initially calling his disciples, initially asking people to follow him and, and start this journey of discipleship. And I want to show you how the way he calls them into a relationship is, shows them how, how this is at work, how Jesus is um, completely centre to everything that they are going to do. So Luke 5, 1 to 11, let's read this story. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he finished speaking, let's just stop there for a minute. So, I mean, even right there, I mean, that's such a great encouragement that Jesus would go to the disciples, can I just use your boat to bring my word to these people? I mean, what a picture that God would just put there right at the start, that Jesus would want to use these guys' boat to preach his word. We all have a boat. We all have something in our life that we do with our time. These were fishermen. That's just what they did. They used their boats every day. It wasn't special to them their boats were just their boats. It's like, I see these boats all the time. Like, actually, I sort of don't like seeing the boats because it reminds me of work. But Jesus is like, I want to use your boat. Can I use your boat to, with the, in conjunction with my word and see how it changes lives? Whatever it is in your life that you have, that you do with your time, God's not asking you to stop doing that or somehow transform that. He's just saying, can I use that as a vehicle to, with my word to see people's lives changed? Whatever it is that you do with your time, God wants to use that. Another way that um, the Great Commission, that word go, um, could be translated as you go. There's a, there's a sense in which that, that idea is not really go as in go somewhere that you're not. Uh, it could be translated as you go. As you are sort of going about your everyday life, make disciples. And I think this is a great example of that as well. As you know, just as the disciples with their boats, Jesus just wanted to use their life, their profession, whatever it is that they were doing, and make disciples through that moment. And so in your everyday life, God wants to use your job, your sphere of influence, your home, your friends, whatever it is, he wants to use your boat with his word to see life changed. Anyway, that's not what I was going to say. When, verse 4, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. So here we have, again, disciples who are not disciples at this point. What are they? Fishermen, professional fishermen. This is what they do for a living. 
fish. And they have just come in from fishing all night. And it says, uh, in, the, in the lead up to that story, it says they were washing their nets. I mean, I mean, that's not really what they were, it's sort of what they were doing, they were washing the nets, but they were mending the nets. They, they use these big nets and they had to sew them all back together after you know, they get caught on snags and whatever they were bringing in. And so you imagine being out all night, brought your boats in, brought your nets in, cleaned them up, sewed them back up, and then this clown turns up and says, who's never been fishing in his life, and says, how about we go out again? And it's like, if that's me, it's like, no, nah, <laughs> I've gone home to sleep. Like, I've been awake all night and there's no fish. Like, we just tried that. Professional fishermen. I mean, if there was a moment where these guys thought, this guy is crazy. I mean, it's not going to happen. I mean, and maybe they just did it to sort of entertain him or just to humour him. It's like, let's just show him how ridiculous his ideas are that we could go out and catch any fish now in the wrong time of the day. But Jesus asked the disciples, these fishermen, to do something that was seemingly impossible, that was not going to happen, that they tried all night to do in their own strength, in their own ability. And then just because Jesus says the word, look what happens. When they did this, verse 6, they caught a great number of fish that their nets began to tear. More mending. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled their both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. And then they brought their boats to land left everything and followed him. I mean, even when they caught such a great number of fish, I love that idea that they needed other people there. It wasn't just them anymore. It's like, we need, we need some more people to help here. We need community. This is not going to happen just because Jesus moves in the heart of one person and just that person's just a lone ranger. I'm, we're not doing this just as individuals, just going out to our spheres of influence and then coming back and telling stories. We're doing this together. We need each other. If this is going to happen, we need each other. We need to rely on each other. Then Simon Peter says to Jesus, go away from me. I'm a sinful person. Ordinary people, extraordinary mission. Simon Peter didn't have anything good going for him. He was just a sinful fisherman. And Jesus chose to use him for a miracle. And you might think, I don't have anything going for me. I'm a sinful person. I'm not even following Jesus properly myself. And Jesus would say, you know what? It doesn't matter. I've got grace for that. And I've got grace enough to flow through you into someone else's life. I can use your sinfulness. I can use your brokenness and still reach somebody else and still see a miracle. You don't have to wait till you're ready. You don't have to wait till you've got everything sorted out. I can use you just as you are. They were sinful, not worthy to be used by Jesus and we can find ourselves in exactly the same place and still be used by Jesus. And then Jesus says, follow me, let's catch people together. They left everything and followed him. What a beautiful picture it is of how important Jesus is to the mission 
that where to go on. That without Jesus, they were catching no fish. They saw no good happen that night. But as soon as Jesus turned up, in their brokenness, in their tiredness, in their frustration, they saw such a great number of fish. I believe that we are right where God wants us to be. You are right where God wants you to be, to be used for something extraordinary. To be used for for God's purpose, to see people come into the kingdom. Who would think that a little country church in Sale could be used by God for anything good? But God's saying, just follow me. Let's go on a journey together. Let's see where I'm at work. Follow my command, even though it seems impossible. Even though it is impossible. Just humor me. Just try again. See where I'm at work and join with me on the mission. Because I want to see people come into the kingdom. God's heart for the lost is bigger than my heart for the lost. It's bigger than your heart for the lost. And so we need to see his vision for this. We need to see his heart. See what he sees and feel what he feels. And join with him on mission. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your love for us, for your grace. God, we echo Simon Peter's word where we say, God, we're just sinful people. We don't have anything going for us. But God, the same way, we recognize that you have grace for that. You have grace enough to give to us, to be filled to overflowing, to give to others. And God, we pray that you would help us to see that your power is at work in us and that your presence is with us. And so we can do anything you tell us to do. We can go on mission with you and we can see people come into the kingdom. And God, we pray for a change in this church. We pray for a change in the hearts of the people that we know, the people we don't know. That you would give us the courage and the boldness to step out and obey you even when it seems like it's not going to work. Even when we've tried all night and it hasn't worked. And you would say, go again. God, we pray that you would just tell us and help us to go again. And God, we pray for those people again that we know that don't yet know you. We lift them up in our hearts right now. And God, we pray that you would be working in their hearts right now. We pray for another story like Claire's this morning, that someone is coming to faith right now because you are at work. You are a miracle working God. With man, it's impossible, but with you, all things are possible. So God, we trust you to be at work in people's hearts right now, causing them to turn to you in whatever way you choose. God, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for Jesus. Help us to follow him like you've called us to. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.